Hey there, podcast listeners. My name is Bryant Manning, and I serve as the pastor here at the Wesley Foundation at FSU and TCC. We are a campus ministry of the United Methodist Church on the campus of Florida State University here in Tallahassee, Florida. These sermons that we're presenting here are designed, written, and presented for college students who are exploring their lives of faith and growing in their walk with Jesus. And our hope and prayer is that you too will be inspired by these messages, that you will learn something about the scriptures, and that you'll leave with your life transformed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much from the bottom of our heart for listening. I want to give a message called Ready or Not. Come on, let's say that. Ready or Not. No, okay, listen. I know it's November, and you're counting down the days to the end, but that was terrible. Let's say Ready or Not. Ready or Not? There we go. Yeah, Ready or Not. And I want to take you to a passage that a couple of you have asked about over the last month or so. I don't know why, maybe this happened at a different church or different thing, but a few of you have asked about this, and so that's why I kind of did this. If I'm being honest, I wanted, because of the fire situation, I wanted to change the text to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but, okay, we don't have a biblical enough knowledge to understand that joke. (laughs) So there were these guys. And they got thrown into the fire. Okay, uh, go look it up. But anyway, instead of doing that, we're going to stick with that. But, but I, I, I feel a little nervous about it, to be honest with you. So this is the, a parable that Jesus tells me. Somebody define what a parable is for me. A story, yeah, but for what purpose? What intention? To teach a message, yeah. It's a story that Jesus tells to give a message. It's a way for us to understand it. This is a parable he tells about 10 bridesmaids. This is in Matthew's gospel, the 25th chapter. I'm gonna drink this in a second. Oh, I need it. Okay, here here we go. We're diving in, are you ready? Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 young bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Now, five of them were what? And the other five were, yeah, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't mince terms. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't bring oil for them. But the wise ones took their lamps and also brought containers of oil. When the groom was late in coming, they all became drowsy and went to sleep. But at midnight, there was a cry, look, the groom, come out to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. But the foolish bridesmaids said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps have gone out. But the wise bridesmaids replied, no, because if we share it with you, there won't be enough for our lamps and yours. So we have a better idea. I love that translation. We have a better idea. You do your job. You go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But a while, but while they were gone to buy oil, the groom came. Those who were ready went with him into the wedding. Then the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep alert because you don't know the day or the hour. I may be talking to one side of the room more than the other, okay? So I don't want you to be offended either side of the room that you fall on here. But could we say that some of us do a better job of being prepared for school than others? Yeah, that's okay. That's normal. It's fine. Welcome to college. But have you ever had this experience where you get to a class 
and your buddy next to you or your classmate next to you goes, hey man, like, you ready for this quiz? And you think, what quiz? Have you ever had this experience? Yes. Or, hey, how'd that paper turn out? And you think, oh, paper, right, yes, yes, I definitely remember that paper. Those of you who have been in this, you know who we are. Now, there are some of you, they keep, you keep an incredible calendar, an incredible schedule, you keep a planner, and there is no way you're gonna miss a date. Don't raise your hands, you don't have to brag, but you know who you are, right? Like, you keep that stuff ready to go, but there are others of you who are like, oh, yeah, no, I, I did have a test on Tuesday. Right, and it's Thursday at this point. Like, like you have no idea. There, there is a lot, there's a lot of us that feel unprepared. Now, when I was in undergrad, because I've never been real good at that administrative part of my life, uh, but when I was in undergrad, I was a, a vocal performance major. And as a vocal performance major, you have to do a couple of recitals, okay? So these are recitals that you work on for a long time. This is not something you just start preparing the week ahead of time, right? This is something you work on for months, honestly, probably years, depending on the repertoire and what you've been preparing. So you've been getting ready for these recitals for a long time, and then you invent, you invite, you know, well, back in the day, we would make a Facebook event, and you invite all your friends, and you wanted to make this uh, big ordeal about it. So what also happens, though, when you're under that sort of pressure is that you start to have those dreams, you know what I'm saying? Those stressful, anxiety-inducing dreams of like, right, I showed up to my junior recital, supposed to be wearing uh, a suit and tie, and I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops. Or some of us have the dream where we're wearing nothing at all. You can talk to your counselor about it. But there's, like, there's, there's that moment, right, where we're, we're like, oh, I am so unprepared. Or I had a dream for my senior recital, I remember this so vividly, where I... I got to the recital hall. Like, I remembered that it was happening. I was dressed, and I knew none of the material. You know, I have those? Like, oh, my gosh, that stress and anxiety. Because there is something about being unprepared that creates stress, even in the least prepared of us, right? There's something about that that creates stress and anxiety in our life, right? And we, 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 sometimes we use it as a motivational factor. Sometimes we just struggle with it, and it, it just ends up as it is. But that, that's something that we deal with. Now, I will say this passage has been used by a lot of churches for a long time to try to create what I would call a sense of fear in your mind as somebody who is moved by anxiety and stress. Because what they said, what Jesus says here at the end is be alert. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when he's going to come. So you better be alert. And if you go on YouTube and you start searching for what, what I would call, what they call soul winning, you'll find a lot of people who call evangelism the idea of showing up at your doorstep, knocking on your door, making sure that you know the Lord Jesus Christ right now, because if you die right now, you're going to go, well, you know where. And that creates a sense of, oh, I'm unprepared for the final days. I'm unprepared for what's going to happen next. So it creates what stress and anxiety in your life. And then you end up making a decision that probably wasn't very genuine in the first place, but you wanted to get them off your doorstep, right? This happens quite a bit. And I think this passage has kind of been un, um, misinterpreted. Let's put it that way. I want to teach you a term. This term is parousia. Say parousia. Okay, I've already criticized you for your energy. Okay, let's do it again. Parousia. Big credit here. Anybody know what it means? Come on, Eli. Where's my religion? He, uh, it's, that's probably the next level. Do you know what the term eschatological is? 
All right, well, it's closely related. The parousia is the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus. It's a Greek term. You're never, ever, ever gonna use it, but now you feel like you can have something to talk about at lunch, right? So this is the second coming of Jesus, the parousia. Now, this is the term that we use, and, and you'll find the, it, it, this talk about the second coming as a big kind of anxiety, stress-inducing, I need you to get, to get you to commit your life to Jesus right now, right here. This is what you gotta do because you never know when the time's gonna come when Jesus is coming. And what it does is it creates fear. We've, we've developed that, right? It creates fear. Here's the problem, is that in the early church, the early church, I'm talking I'm talking Paul, right? You're familiar with him, right? We've talked about him. I'm talking Paul. In the early church, man, it was something exciting to them. It was something exciting to them. In fact, I've told you a couple of weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians that that was the first letter that Paul wrote. And he mentions the parousia, the second coming of Jesus, many times throughout, the first, throughout 1 Thessalonians, always with excitement. Because he was, if you're a biblical scholar, you know this, he was convinced that Jesus was coming back to earth like in his lifetime. Spoiler alert, didn't happen. But Jesus was gonna come back in his lifetime and he was convinced and excited by it. Is that the way the second coming has been presented to us in the media? No, or even in Christian doctrine. It's because people read Revelation and then they start to take that all like super, 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 super seriously and then it turns into this like turn or burn type mentality. What I'm trying to get you to see is that during the creation of the early church, this was an exciting thing. Like Jesus was a cool guy, right? Jesus came to save us and he's coming back again. Man, you better get excited about that. This is not fear inducing. It's just excitement inducing. Even in the second Thessalonians, which is one of his later uh, letters, he's, he's pretty much convinced at this point that life might be over for him and Jesus isn't back yet. And so he's starting to deal with the reality of that, he had no idea we'd be here 2,000 years later. And even then, he's like excited about the second coming of Jesus. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna look at this passage a little more closely. We're gonna go back through it, Emma. Give it up for Emma on the slides. And Willis is up there on the soundboard. Yeah, let's, we're gonna go back to this. This is uh, the beginning, verse one. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 young bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. I guess fire made its way in, into it anyway. <laughs> went out to meet the groom. The next verse. And now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't bring oil for them. But the wise ones took their lamps and brought containers of oil. I, I want to make just a kind of a side point here for a second. Jesus does make division here between the wise and the foolish. Sometimes in the church, particularly recently, because we're like every human being needs to be in our presence, we 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 sometimes get a little overwhelmed by our everyone welcome thing, and that and that we just like, well, there's no division. No, Jesus makes division here between wise bridesmaids and not wise. Bridesmaids. Do you see this? Not because of who they are. Not because there's, there's not, this is not an exclusionary factor. He's just saying certain ones took certain actions and the other ones didn't. And we need to put that in our brains. Okay. So he took wise and the foolish. Okay. And then the next thing, when the groom was late in coming, they all became drowsy and went to sleep. But at midnight, there was a cry, look, the groom come out to meet him. 
Then all those bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. But the foolish bridesmaids said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps have gone out. But the wise bridesmaids replied, no, because if we share with you, there won't be enough for our lamps and yours. We have a better idea. You go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. What in the world is going on here? This is not how we celebrate weddings today, right? How do we celebrate weddings today? Well, the parents of the daughter get very sad about their bank account. That's the first thing that happens. And they start to look at prices of wedding dresses. And you always want the one that's slightly out of your price range. And then, God forbid, you look at the price of photographers, And then you say, oh, I need to take out a loan, (laughs) right? Don't even ask about videographers. They're insanely expensive. That's how we celebrate weddings today. The the guy and the girl, they get together. They they fall in love. There's a, a ring presented. And then they go forward and they plan out this wedding that you could have bought a car with, but instead you're gonna plan the wedding and it's gonna be so fun and so beautiful. And then 50% of them end. That's how we celebrate weddings today. Here's how it happened in ancient Jewish time. I just thought this was interesting in this study. The, first of all, they were assigned. <laughs> the parents would make an agreement with the other parents. Generally, I thought this was interesting, over a glass of wine. They would make uh, a decision with the other parents that one would go with the other. The, the bride would be given to the groom. And then so the groom would go forth through uh, life and um, they basically, they're, they're assigned. Once that agreement was decided, they were what, we, what the word is that used in the scriptures is betrothed. If you've heard this word, uh, in, particularly in like Jesus's time, we heard the story of Mary being betrothed to Joseph, right? So they were, they were together. They were considered married at this point, but the marriage hadn't been consummated. You know what that means. So that, that's kind of what, they were considered married, but they hadn't had the wedding yet. They were betrothed. And then, then what would happen is the bride would choose bridesmaids, Okay, and then the groom would come at some unknown time to the bride's house, and then the bridesmaids would take these lamps and would light a pathway toward the groom's house where the wedding would be held. I think this is interesting. So that's, that's kind of what happened. And most of the time it happened at night, which is why they needed lamps to light the way. I, I think that was interesting. So the bridesmaids in this story have been tasked with one thing, which is to what? Like the path, yeah. They've been tasked with one thing. Keep oil in their lamp, keep it burning, burning, burning. Anybody grow up in church? Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Hallelujah. Okay, so <laughs> been a long time since the 90s. <laughs> the bridesmaids would come and they had one task. And what happens is five of them are what? Wise, and five of them are? Foolish, yeah. So you've got wise ones who kept oil in their lamp and five that let it go. Their one job, their one responsibility, they let down when it came time. You ever had that feeling in your life? I put so much effort in. I feel so honored to be in this position. And then that one time it mattered, I dropped the ball. 
that one time it mattered, I made a silly decision. That one time it mattered. That's what happens here. He calls them foolish. He goes on to talk about the fact that they weren't ready when he came. That one task that they had been tasked with, they weren't ready. If you said ready or not, they were not. Right? That's what happens. I feel like college, this is easy to relate to because in college, that happens all the time. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's real easy to forget the reason that you're in class, the reason that you're physically in Tallahassee because there is this exciting thing to do and this exciting thing to do and this thing that could turn into a career and this person's like, you don't need to go to college and this person doing this thing and this. And it's real easy to get distracted in the midst of that and forget the one task that you were asked to do, which is to pass, right? Or, or I can't tell you how many people have had one class where like, man, if you just need this one class to graduate, and they like put it off, they put it off, they fail it, they end up staying an extra semester or two or three or three years because they lost track of the point. They lost track of the task they were asked to do. I was reading a couple of commentaries about this passage because it is kind of, I wouldn't say it's hotly debated, but it's an interesting passage. I think the truth is the same in the modern church because Jesus created this expectation within this story and with others that we would be ready for his second coming. And then Paul thought it was happening the next day and then it didn't. And then Paul thought it was happening in his lifetime and then it didn't. And then the early church was like, well, it'll happen. It'll happen here. And even through Pentecost and things like that, uh, it still didn't happen. And then 2,000 years go by and Christianity has been kind of changed and and moved and and molded in so many different ways. And here we are just taking advantage of the fact that that's who we are. Most of us grew up in the church. Most of us just took it all for granted. And so we end up in a world where like, I, I don't know if we're ready. I don't know if we're ready. Are we distracted? Did we forget the one task? It's interesting, in Matthew's gospel, that one task is pretty laid out early on. He describes uh, the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, which is relatively early on in the gospel, chapter five. He starts laying out, like, who's important? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he goes on to say, like, well, then your job is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That task. I get this sense that a bunch of us have just taken this for granted. We've just lived the life, lived the rigmarole, lived the schedule, lived just because that's what we do. And Christianity has become so routine, so routine. But what's, what's important is that we stay ready. 
not because we're worried that some sort of fires are going to come out of the sky and then uh, I want to make sure that I get to lift it up with all of them. I mean, yeah, that's probably important if that does happen. I hope I go there too. But, but, but what's actually, I think, the task that's been given to us, just as the bridesmaids were supposed to keep oil in their lamp, what should happen to us is that we should stay ready. We you know what we should do? We should love our neighbor every day. We should love God every day. Every day. That task that's been given to us, it's so easy for us just to be like, eh, I don't feel like it right now because that's not part of the routine. No, love your neighbor every day. Not because you're going to answer to Peter, although maybe, but because that's the task that was given to you as somebody waiting on the bride, waiting for the groom to come, to light the path. That's the task we've been given. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Wesley Foundation and FSU and TCC. We hope this was uplifting to you and helpful in your walk with Jesus. If you would like to support us, we would love your prayerful and financial support. You can give online at fsuwesley.com or on Venmo by just searching FSU Wesley Foundation. Thanks again.